0: It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be able to connect in, in this way with all of you for today's panel, with the amazing cast and creative team of Little Birds, which is just so beautiful and so fantastic. Please welcome creator and writer of Little Birds, Sophia Almaria, executive producer Ruth McCants, director Stacey Passan, Gina Temple, Yvonne Marwan, Hugh Skinner, Raphael O'Clock and Nina Sassania. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been pretty much exactly a year now since you wrapped shooting um, in Spain. And what a, what a time that we've had in, in between. I mean, just having chatted to you a little bit before, it seems that you all get along really well. Is this the first time that you're all sort of catching up, albeit in this new virtual way all around the world? Um, how does it feel to be reunited? Um, I'll come to you, Stacey, because I think you were first on the call. Sad and wonderful.
1: <laughs> all of these beautiful faces that I love so much, who I love so much. Um, I can't tell you what this experience has meant to me. And to be a part of this dream with all of these people has been tremendous. So it's just beautiful to see all of you.
0: Yeah, I really like watching you all sort of waving as you're coming up. Um, Juno, did you feel like you forged friendships? I mean, was it a lot of fun to film together in Spain?
2: Um, I think for me, it was like one of the most treasured experiences of my entire life. And I think the entire cast and crew of this job genuinely blew my brains out with their extraordinary talent their um supportiveness for everybody as well there was a real camaraderie of wanting everyone to feel safe so that they could explore every aspect that they they um wanted to wanted to with each character and it is so gorgeous to see everyone right now but it's also like a weird thing I mean, I am still wrapping my head around Zoom. My computer failed to do it this morning. So I don't know. I wish I was seeing everyone in person. I could have used a real hit of some um, little bird loving right now in, 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 in actual human contact, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd never heard of Zoom before this pandemic. It just I mean, somehow yeah. site managed to fumble the bag. They had 12 year head start and they still didn't manage to monopolize on it. I don't know. I don't know how this has happened, but here we are. Um, and it's so nice to be able to see each other. I mean, Raphael, you came on, you're, you're in Paris right now and you're saying everything's returned to normal. How nice is it to see everyone's face again?
3: Yeah, it's really lovely, especially after two months of confinement. Uh, I can see everybody is healthy <laughs> and safe. So that's really nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's already been a year. It's It's just uh, passed by so, so fast. So I'm very glad to see everybody.
0: Well, let's talk about the series, because it is, I mean, it's stunning. It's gorgeous. Um, Sophia, of course, it's inspired by Anais Nin's collection of erotic short stories. How, How did you harness them? What elements from her stories did you bring into the series? What was it that you wanted to create? Well, the Nin short stories, I'm
4: sure that a lot of you have read them are essentially just erotic vignettes, so there's not a whole lot of plot to go on. So the thing that we were really, I think, hunting and pecking for was characters. So um, there are little details within a lot of the different characters and little birds which are plucked from the stories, and certainly, the, I think, the atmosphere and the feeling of sort of just like this heightened heady just about to blossom thing with a lot of the characters, or explode in certain cases. So I'd always been a huge fan of Nin. Nin had been very important to me as like a formative experience as a teenager, reading um, those dirty stories. So um, bringing it to television seemed like a really important kind of exciting proposition. But
0: yeah, it, it's so sumptuous and like vibrant, vivid, and visceral, um, visually as well, lots of filmic references in there, including Fastbinder and Cirque. What was the aim for the visual feel of the show, Stacy? The visual feel of the show really, you know, it's funny because when you pitch your
1: director, you know, and you pitch to Sophia and you pitch to Ruth and Peter at Warp, and it's, it's really about like, taking all of the things that you immediately think of it and sticking it into this document they call a pitch document. And, you know, you're throwing all of these things that, you know, just to make sure they know that you're as smart as the concept or something. And, but when you get to the shoot, it all sort of changes. And I think what was really important um, is that Sophia's scripts to me were very heightened and yet they were incredibly smart. And, um, what I wanted to do to complement that is to try, and what all the HODs wanted to do so like emotionally I mean, they had such an emotional response, all of the heads of departments, to the material is create a palette so that we could work t- truthfully on the acting beats, but then also create a bunch of it gave us this opportunity to create like a lot of camera work um, and uh, color and um, uh, uh, all of these devices that we would use to complement those truths. And because there's a lot of trauma in the concept, I was thinking about like a tone name for it, you know, it's sort of like mellow trauma. Mm. (laughs) There's a lot of trauma around it. We, We like thought about using color and crystals to reflect some of the trauma of the characters really and what they were going through emotionally and that, I think it just fed, it, you know, as we shot and as we got pages from Sophia and things, we just, we felt like it was, it was sort of moving all into that direction and it, it got focused. And, and I think it just, it was collaborative and jazzy and, um, and somehow it all made sense.
0: Yeah. You say jazzy, talk to me about the music because I I, I like listening to it. It just feels good. It feels like it's very carefully curated. Well,
1: um, we found this article um, on the internet that some dude did um, who had gone through all the diaries of Anais Nin and found all the music that was in the diaries. Right. And that was like a piece of treasure. And so what we did is since it's in an international zone in Tangier, we didn't adhere to, you know, Arab music or French music or, um, uh, you know, c- certain times we, we had a lot of those influences, you know, um, Raphael's character is Egyptian. So we had Balambique um, by Abdel Halem. Um, and we dropped in songs that complemented that Nin liked, you know, um, songs by Eartha Kitt and Peggy Lee and a ton of jazz. And um, what are some other ones, Sophia? Um.
4: Yeah, you had the Eartha Kitt, um, I Wanna Be Evil, which I'm so happy is in there. And the Ahlam Beek one that you mentioned, um, which is a really special Abdul Harim song. And he's referenced in this beautiful scene with Raphael. Um, as the Dark Nightingale. And in terms of other songs, I don't know. There was the um the um what's it called? Suivant. Oh yeah,
1: the Jacques Brel. So we what we did is um Sophia had sent me this, um, we were she was writing something and she sent me this like sweaty picture of this man, uh, Jacques Brel, mm-hmm. And he just captured my imagination the way he sang and just the the sort of it felt like the emotion that was coming off of him and it felt very post-war it felt very traumatic and then I listened to Au Suivant" and I listened to the words and um and it felt like a protest song really yeah. it felt like an anti-war song and so um you know I, we had asked the brella state if we could use it and then that gave rise to using actually sort of a you know, a nod to him in the character that André Reifig plays, um, who is sort of like the, the cabaret singer.
0: I used to have a boyfriend who used to sing me Jacques Prele all the time. Donna Paul danced them. It was very passionate, but also quite frightening. Um, so I can see how that comes into this. <laughs> and Ruth, <laughs> while this is set in 1950s Morocco, it, it also feels very contemporary. What does it have to say to the world today?
5: Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things about Little Birds that are really relevant to today. I mean, basically, we were all conceiving it in some ways as an anti-patriarchal, anti-colonial fairy tale Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, which is very much of the moment. And it's about how the personal becomes political and the political becomes personal for for all the characters that are either going on that journey in one way or another. And... um, They're negotiating change within themselves and change in the world they live in. And uh, one of the characters actually says in another beautiful scene with Raphael, uh, his character is challenged in in episode five, which people have seen. And and, as he's the 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 fellow with whom he starts to have a kind of friendship and uh, a sort of uh, with, he says, you know, change is coming and it's going to hurt, and, you know, who are you going to stand with and who will you be? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, you know, it's certainly a core moment for the character um, and a very big question for now, really. So I think that's kind of the heart of what makes it contemporary.
0: Yeah, it feels apt, it feels poignant at a time when we're talking about injustice, inequality, how much of that is ingrained in our society, how much of that is ingrained in us, and it it made me think of, of these themes, like... Alongside the news that I'm watching every single day, definitely. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen you refer to it. I think read somewhere that you refer to it as a melodrama. What what sort of aspects and devices of classic
5: melodrama are employed here? Well, well you know, Caesar's already touched on the melodrama. Melodrama, <laughs> well, tr- yeah. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, classic melodrama. I mean, TV globally, melodrama is the biggest genre, you know, and in Latin America, in Asia, in Turkey, and, you know, kind of everywhere else apart from the Anglo-Saxon stroke American obsession with investigative storylines and police. Everywhere else, melodrama is, you know, the form of, you know, mainstream entertainment. And it's historically kind of very regarded as something that's very female and for female viewers, and, you know, it's, it's a, you know, form of storytelling that, you know, is sort of somehow disparaged in that way as being, you mm-hmm. know, suitable housewives. But then you have these kind of, uh, we've mentioned Cirque and Fassbender and all those kind of masters of melodrama from the 50s, from the 70s, that we were very inspired by because it's quite a controversial form, it's quite a subversive form. And um, we like to think that, you know, well, we're women and we have made what is actually genuinely a chick flick here in lots of ways, you know. So in the way I would say we're trying to reclaim melodrama as, you know, chick flick, you know, and you know, not just in the way that it's for housewives in Turkey you know? it's made by chicks, you know, for chicks and for everyone who has an inner chick.
0: <laughs> Which we so all do.
5: Yeah. I think.
0: Um Juno, you know, what was it about Little Birds and the vision for it and the character of Lucy Savage that really appeal to you like had you read nin's work before
2: yeah actually i remember i was flying from london to la when i was 17 and i read little birds Uh, i was coming to actually film a very um slapstick comedy in in america and reading these short stories was the first introduction for me for what felt like real erotica, the erotica that's about what your sweat behind the back of your knees tastes and smells like and, like, you know, the way somebody's tongue sits in their mouth, not that you actually have to see it, not that mm-hmm. you, it's the way you think about it and the way it makes your insides feel. And I remember being a pretty intense flight to me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I had actually loved, specifically, Little Birds for a long time. And then... Um, I got sent, I think it was two episodes initially, by Stacy through via my Agents. and um, I read this incredible character, Lucy Savage, who was somebody that I felt had so many layers and so many, um, so many things going on inside of her. It's like at the beginning of a bubble bath, and the bubbles are just bubbling up, you know, and. And at the same time, she can't let any of it out because of the time period and because of this fantasy that she's given herself of needing to create this perfect life to get away from her old one and be this perfect woman. But she falls down the most wondrous rabbit hole and gets into this universe. And that was something I loved so much about her as well, is that you're very much seeing everything through her eyes. She's the first it's the first time for her when she's in Tangier. It's the first time she's seeing any of it. She's smelling any of it. She's tasting any of it. And she wants to do it all. But for some reason, everybody kind of wants to stop her. And, um, you know, it feels like for such a huge chunk of the show, she is tr- always making sure everybody else is going to be okay. but um you know, she's pretty heavily medicated. And I think that is something that also sedates her from experiencing things to the fullest. And that kind of constantly keeps Dr. Maxwell and her father as these little voices on her shoulder. And she sees a woman like Sharifa. And that's something that I think makes those little voices start to dissipate because she has never seen a woman that has the ability to have the sort of fluidity of, you know, I think the scene when Lucy first sees Sharifa perform at El Sirocco, just after they've met in the bathroom, which is, I loved shooting that scene so much. And I loved shooting it with all the people doing it, but specifically, you know, who's somebody I just, yeah, I'm, I think she's an extraordinary tour de force. And, um, but I think, I want to also reiterate that I think every woman on this job was doing that. Hair, makeup, wardrobe, set designing. I mean, all of it. It was just such an extraordinary group of women and men. Ed, our DP was amazing. But um, she sees Sharifa perform the in front of this room of people. And it's something that Lucy hasn't even fathomed as a possibility before. She sees this extraordinarily beautiful woman get up on a stage and act like she's a bigger dick than all the men in the room. And that's something that I think Lucy didn't even know that a woman could do at the time. So I think there's this incredible learning that happens throughout it. Something I loved about her also was that she was so unjudge- unjudgmental in a weird way, where you really felt there are key moments where she could have behaved in a way that would have been more predictable and she doesn't. Um, But also something that Stacy and I talked about a lot as well was this idea of how Anais is very known for the sexuality and the sexiness of everything. And actually that Lucy and Sharifa, all of their sexual experiences almost get them to orgasm, but they never quite get allowed to throughout the whole show. And I think that was a really interesting kind of concept too of the, that sort of works in all different aspects for, at least for me, um, with Lucy, of like this almost getting the explosion and then not quite until I'll let you guys finish the vote end of the show. Um, But uh, I also love that this, this story of these two women that have, Completely different backgrounds, different existences on the planet, yet have this magnetic pull that really actually ends up being the way that they learn how to love themselves. And -hmm. I don't know, feel comfortable in the skin that they've got. And I think they really help each other do that. So ultimately, for me, too, it's like a, it's quite rare that you get a a film about two incredible, or sorry, a limited series. And film, about two very strong female characters that are, end up being the two characters that complement each other the most. Yeah, and that's something nice, I was right. really proud to be a part of. And just the diversity of where everyone came from, the world, and all the thoughts behind each character. I had, I had one of the best experiences of my life on this job. It felt like going to the university of life. It was amazing. You can tell. I
0: mean, yeah, the the way that those two characters become intertwined, it literally, it's big dick energy, and I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Me (laughs) too. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about sex, sexuality, sexual freedom. Um, Hugh, for your character, Hugo, I think we've all watched enough of this to not be spoiling it by saying, you know, he marries Lucy, but he's in love with Adam. Talk me through bringing this exploration of sexuality and the conflict of it to the screen and to your character, what were you drawn to?
6: Well, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was. Um, well, it was, it, it's. It was the idea of the fifties. I think the part of not that it's like a massive period piece, but that extreme uh, form of shame and that that level of self hatred and what that must have been like then, and obviously it still exists now. But I think the 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 external factors that are weighing down on him are so extreme. Um, Yeah, and I I guess I was excited to see, and also the relationship with Lucy sort of excited me as well. Um, Just because she, I mean, as awful as it seems what he does, I do think he loves her. And ultimately her, um, you know, the way she, as she finds liberation, um, you know, he's lucky to be along for the ride.
0: Yeah. Well, he, he's working it out himself as well. And I think Adam as a character is so intelligent and smart and and gets it. And it's quite interesting to see, you know, the two sort of juxtaposed by each other. Um, I I love the way that, that that sexual exploration is brought to the screen, but also the eroticism, um, some really erotic scenes. I think especially the film that Lily Von X produces and then, at the party as well where she showcased it and actually all the parties at the Contessa's house Nina how were those scenes to film did it feel like an erotic jamboree when you were there <laughs>
7: <laughs> an erotic jamboree i've never said that before i don't know if i'll ever say it again I don't know. <laughs> you should it as much as you possibly can <laughs> yeah erotic jamboree um, did it feel like an erotic jamboree when you get there and you're doing sort of the mechanics of things it's it's slightly less erotic than, than the than the finished um <clears throat> yeah yeah, but um those those particular scenes were you had to get over them the 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 kind of British giggliness that I initially brought uh to the party. I had to get over that very very quickly, which i did um I had to stop my eyes watering but it was. <laughs> But it was then once once I got past that it 's really very beautiful we um, the, the, the the film the, my first day actually was when we filmed the lady von Xs directing the the film. We were on a beautiful cliff, um, looking out towards uh, Africa, and there were i don 't know how many uh, dancers, maybe twenty um, Spanish dancers who. Like um, Gina was saying, just gave of themselves so bravely and courageously and openly and um, inclus- uh, inclusively uh, that that sort of set the tone for 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 me uh, for the for the rest of the shoot um, because I sort of thought, well, this could be hard or this could be really, really lovely and easy. And actually it was really lovely and easy. So then when we came to the, the next, the showing of the, of the film, that scene, um, which was quite provocative mm-hmm. and um, yeah, uh, incredibly erotic actually. <laughs> um, it was actually, again, after I stopped giggling, it was, uh, it was, it was quite, a, quite an easy thing to do.
0: Yeah, I, I love how comfortable Lily Von X is in these setups. Um, what or, or who were you channeling? Is I mean, she based on a real person, or she's well? I was looking at my um, uh, the sort of breakdown of my of the character
7: that you get when you first, you know, when you get these interest emails. This is the character that you're you're up to play, um, and she was sort of described as. Uh, a, well, a sort of slightly Eartha Kitt. Um, I had to sing a song that was in sort of in the style of Marlena Dietrich. Mm-hmm. Um, but from that, I sort of I looked at Eartha kit a lot. And I looked at Rita Hayworth a lot. I looked at those kinds of people who have been looked at all of their lives. So I based her on somebody who is very used to being looked at from all angles um, and expecting a camera everywhere kind of wanting a camera everywhere. Right. So she's kind of a, uh, an amalgamation of all those huge stars of the 40s, um, because her star is sort of fading when you meet Lily.
0: And it was an opportunity as well to, to sing and, and sing so beautifully. Yeah. Cameron was saying before you came on, he was like, your voice is like silk.
7: Get out of town. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. I wanted to uh, be a rock star, really. That's my, uh, my fantasy life, is that, yeah. I'm... And my first job was actually in a musical, which was Hair, which kind of set me up well for this job. Um, yeah, uh, but other than that, I'm not a trained singer. I've never learned how to sing, or, but I've desperately wanted to. So when, again, the audition came through, I was just desperate to get it right.
0: I can't remember what the question was. No, 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 just, it wasn't even really a question. I was just saying, I like, I like you singing. It was nice. I like (laughs) And and, and, yeah, we talked before about how brilliant the music is. So it all sort of ties together. It it, it feels perfect. Um, Yomna, Sharifa Lamour, what a, what a brilliantly crafted, um, multifaceted, fascinating character. What attracted you
8: to the role of Sharifa? Um... I mean, Sharifa is a self-made badass sex worker with gold teeth. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's the short answer. I mean, I love that. So of course I want to be that person. Um, but this is, uh, this is the first time I do anything in English. I've, I've been, uh, you know, working for seven years in the independent Arab film industry and have always been very reluctant and never really even tried to enter anything European or uh, American. So when I randomly got the casting and I got the first three uh, episodes, I was just yeah. I, I I just thought no way this is going on European television <laughs> because you know we're used to seeing ourselves portrayed and we're in ways that I, you know, I've never wanted to be a part of that. It's just like, so reading it was, was just blew my mind that, um, even though obviously she's very uh, sexualized, um, I felt like there was so much uh, space in the writing um, to kind of uh, give this lead Arab woman uh the proper um like depth you know that she deserves so that to me was that like sharifa is the best entrance that i can do into the western industry yeah you know so yeah there's definitely moments when you're watching you're like i can't believe that
0: i'm seeing this on tv but i'm so happy that i am um and we were talking before about eroticism and some of those scenes, like tell me about filming and preparing for some of those scenes in the brothel where she's working as a dominatrix. I mean, was it, was it fun? How did it feel being there in the moment and putting a gas mask on a a man and strangling him?
8: Um, Yeah, that week was crazy. Uh, It felt natural, you know, it felt like, yeah, I could do it. You know, Um, I have a lot of anger to let out on, on men but you know at the same time you're working so um at some point it felt i started to feel bad like i, d- I don't want to hurt anyone <laughs> i'm sorry that i'm doing good you know so it was it was these two um attitudes uh, uh that i had to live through it was i don't know what it was it was crazy but it was like that you know um and prepare preparing for the role of a dominatrix, I mean, I watch porn, so I, that was part of the research. Um, and went into some sex forums and stuff. But the, 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 the best thing I think that helped me was in London, I went to an actual dominatrix. Like, this is her, her job. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a round on everything that she uses and what she does. But the best part was the conversation with her, because I wanted to understand like, what is your relationship to your client in this space that you create where, you know, none of it can happen outside, you know? It's, like, this very... Um, yeah, so that, that conversation uh, helped a lot, like, to understand the relationship between the, the dom and the sub. Yeah. Um, physically, emotionally, everything. And I was lucky enough to have one of her clients who was waiting outside volunteer for me to flog his behind. Um, <laughs> so he came into the room and, and yeah, I did that. Does it feel good? Yes. Yeah?
0: <laughs> I'll try it. Fantastic. Um, Sharifa finds herself embroiled in the nation's politics. Um, and as we were saying before, Little Birds sort of it touches on injustice, inequality, racism. It feels very poignant, very apt. Um, now Raphael, your character, Adam, he's, he's smart, he's switched on, but he also suffers at the hands of it. What would life have been like for Adam in Tangier in 1955?
3: Uh, that's a complicated question, but I mean, in terms of his sexuality, obviously it would have been complicated because, and even nowadays it's still an ongoing fight, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but I, I guess even regardless of, uh, you know his the color of his skin in the fifties. It wasn't just it just wasn't an easy thing wherever you were. Uh, but in terms of him being an Arab, I think the fifties and the early sixties were a time full of possibilities for the Arabs because especially because uh, you had countries such as Egypt, Algeria, uh, or Tunisia, or even Syria that sort of started to get independent and they had for the first time the possibility to sort of start thinking about who they were going to become and what it meant to be a free Arab in this world, you know, like being being myself Algerian. It was something that I was very interested in. Uh, because when the story begins, you know, uh, Hugh was talking about the self-hatred that Hugo has. And that's not something that Adam has. Yeah. Not at all. But I think the the main the main issue that he has was you know, the fact that he was completely oblivious of what he, lo- what he looked like and what kind of person he was. There's an interesting scene where I'm talking to, uh, to Lucy and I'm, I'm talking about my suit. That is, um, that is a kind of armour. And I think that subconsciously I'm not even realising that I'm really hiding behind something. And I'm convinced that because I've got this money and I've got this panache and I'm, you know, I sort of managed to glide um, above all judgement I can escape the reality of the world I live in. But uh, yeah, I think the fifties, you know, I, I guess he would have depended on, you know, the journey that I was this, uh, Adam would have decided to take, you know, just really acknowledging who he was because again, he has no issue whatsoever with who he wants to love. That's not something that he's questioning. Um, but yeah, the, I don't think the fifties were, you know, especially in Tangier being a French protector and, it's it's so relevant nowadays because today we have we're having this conversation in France at the moment, and that's also what drew me to the to the project because it was so anti-colonial, uh, and again being Algerian, it was something that was so close to my heart. So, uh, I think he would have had to face, uh, you know, he would have had to make a decision about who he wants to be. Um, that's never an easy question to answer.
0: That's the decision we're all making all the time. Exactly really, really resonated with me. And um, when Adam says, that's why I came to Tangier, because no one belongs here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a port, it's a gateway to Africa. People arrive there for many different reasons in search of many different things or are running away from many different things. Um, I, I mean, the, I think the theme of belong, belonging, belonging, it, it pervades everything. But Sophia, how important was this idea of belonging for you when, when writing this?
4: Well, Um, I think that no one, um, I think that the idea of belonging to a particular place is antithetical to what I think the thesis of the project is in a way. And, um, I mean, even Raphael's character, Adham, is Egyptian, but in, um, but living in Morocco and, um, becoming aware of some of the politics that are happening, which are, very much in solidarity with each other. For example, there's a scene where there's a quote by Franz Fanon, which sort of leads to Edhem's like ultimate sort of like the, the aha moment. Um, I don't know how else to describe it, the epiphany, uh, which radicalizes him away, I guess. And it's so beautifully wrought by Raphael. Um, and that's an example of a person who is not from a particular, who is not from North Africa, but who is in solidarity with the Algerians. He's a, from the Caribbean, went to fight an Algerian, was a doctor and wrote you know, some of the seminal and formative works of anti-colonialism that are still really important and relevant today. And so I think my hope for the piece is for the, for the I guess all of the characters is that even if they don't belong to the place, like Sharifa or the Leo character do they uh, find various ways to I guess um, align themselves as allies with the various like movements that they're trying to that they are being, that they are involved with in whether by choice or not, for example, like with the Lucy character, um, Lucy gets sort of swept up and subsumed into something much bigger than um one of the things we talked about a lot was like this sort of like first world problems versus like the third world problems quote unquote of the various characters and I think that yeah like Sharifa is like in a lot of ways like the crux of the whole piece because this is the one person who like has a very has a very clear I guess like mission and and I guess uh Place in the place, and um, her choices and her fights kind of spiral out from there, especially with the secretary, um, who is. I'm very proud of this villain. It was really fun to write an evil white man.
0: Yeah, no, he's a good villain. He's um,
4: played brilliantly.
1: Played brilliantly, yeah. <laughs> who is like beyond like I'm so happy that we all got to work with him he's uh he's an incredible and Kamala Brudi and uh, and David Costable and Evie Landecker and and it goes on and on.
0: it's a spectacular cast I'm gonna um I'm gonna go to the questions that have been posed now by people watching so thank you so much for these um the first one is anonymous it says I love the costumes and the production design did you manage to source a lot of the things from the time period, or did you recreate them, um, Stacey? What were the main influences that you and the art department were working from?
1: The costumes from uh, the costume designer was uh, Joe Thompson, and she was brilliant. And um, she came to it. Uh, I, you know, I, I was just really interested in the palette. You know, I think um, Yuna and Juno in particular worked with joe really closely on their looks and how those looks deconstructed and so i guess the, the answer to the question would be i'm not really sure what the sourcing of it was i think we definitely had seamstresses and we definitely you know do, do, Yuma, do you want to talk a little bit about it because i think you know a little bit more about it than i do in terms
2: i think of- definitely i worked yeah joe was super involved with our questions and super involved with making our characters kind of um fit, with a, for me, with a woman that is very much alive in 2020. Like I don't know, I'm curled up on a couch right now wearing you know, bed shorts and a tank top. It's in Los Angeles and it's early here, so it's really hot already and stuff. And, and I slouch, I curl up, I'm like a cat. And Lucy would never have been allowed to do that. There is this structure that comes with being a sort of debutante in the 1950s of, for lack of a better... Way of saying it, but like a, a little bird, a little bird of paradise that people want to look at all the time. Where and so I think I personally tried on a lot of original pieces from the 50s, but because Joe and Stacy had really figured out a, a palette of colors for Lucy that changed also a little bit from coming from New York and then entering into Tangier that actually a lot of the clothes were then copied and made for me in specific colours. And then a little secret that I kind of, I love these sort of things, I love doing this with characters always, and Joe was so up for it, is that as the show sort of progresses, Lucy Savage uh, starts to wear slightly bigger hooped earrings. Mm. <laughs> well, the kind of the like a, You know what I'm saying? I do. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I got massive ones. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, me too. are is <laughs> sitting on the table because (laughs) I thought I didn't sleep in them but I think that like little details like that just felt like a little bit of freedom so that when she sees her dad later in the show he can look at her and be like I don't know you you know and and it felt and I had a lot of fun with the costumes because I'm not gonna lie a lot of them were not very comfortable which I think is really important for a character like Lucy and that dress where I'm watching Yumna sing where she looks So beautiful, El Sirocco in that liquid. I mean, she looks like somebody poured metallic paint on her and then she's singing this song. It was so amazing. But that dress was an original piece that had not been altered and that I couldn't, if I slouched, I got stabbed by a piece of boning. So, (laughs) um, but I thought that was actually a really great thing that added to me as a character within, you know, being in my head about trying to make Lucy work and inhabiting her and da, da, da. All of the things that as an actor you go through, questioning all of it, or you're making people proud or disappointing or whatever, actually the costume, the hair and the makeup, I think is something that when the team has your back with that and fully has turned you into somebody else externally, it's much easier to then step into those people's shoes and actually walk around and pretend to be them. You know, that's why I think the collaboration of everybody on this job and on any kind of film set is one of the most important ones.
1: And I think a lot of the characters deconstructed, their clothes, their clothes deconstructed as they started to sort of face their trauma a little bit more and more and more. All of the characters, um, they just all, um, except for the, the um, you know, David Costable's character who just remained tied up until he, anyway, I won't give away the Well,
0: answer. yeah, I, I feel like we've probably all got to that episode, but yeah, let's be safe. Um, the questions come in from Helen, who says in the normal people Q and A, they spoke about having an intimacy coordinator who treated the most intimate scenes as choreography. So I wonder if you had a team of them and were these scenes similarly crafted as choreography or were they more free form?
1: They were free form. Um, I have a, I mean, I like using intimacy coordinators and I've used a lot more now, but, um, we, um, we, I've done a lot of this. Um, sort of thing, starting with uh, uh, you know going way back, and um, I, you know if it really is about i think it's just about trust, you know, and the actors can speak more to it than than me, but I think the role of the director is really just to set out the scene and then just see what happens you know mm-hmm. um, and hopefully everybody feels safe that's that's my biggest priority
6: so can I add to that?
0: Yeah, go for it.
6: Well, just, for instance, Stacey, she's been modest, but she worked on Transparent, which has got the best sex scenes, you know, ever in TV. So I think there's a level of comfort that yeah. comes with that and trust. And then on top of that, Stacey was over the whole series, which is quite rare as well. It wasn't in blocks. So it was such a group going through something. So it wasn't like it was new people doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, was so you felt of- in
0: good hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a question from Amy, who says, "This is for Raphael. The belly dancing in episode three was amazing. Did you have any training for that?"
3: Uh, thanks, I appreciate. It, first of all, <laughs> um, I did have a bit of training. We did a bit. We did a couple of stuff <clears throat> for a couple of hours, uh, but then it's sort of what well, we decided with Stacey that it's sort of I sort of had to go with the feeling of it. Uh, so there's not much technique in it. I guess it's just about feeling. And that kind of stuff, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. Free form
0: sex scenes, free form belly dancing, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and two takes, and That's two fun. takes, and <laughs> natural. Uh, this question is also anonymous. Um, the locations are incredible. Can you talk a little bit about the process of finding those?
4: Uh,
5: yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we really, really wanted to to shoot in, in Morocco and, you know, but we, we um, didn't get a permit um, and for various reasons. And, and then we had to sort of rethink how we would structure the whole thing. But that turned out to be a kind of blessing in disguise because we sort of soon realised as soon as we saw Tarifa, it was the village of Tarifa or the town of Tarifa in Andalusia. It actually looked more like Tangier in the 1950s than Tangier looks like now, in a way, you know, because there's only 150,000 people in Tangier in the 50s, and now it's close to a city of a million. So, it actually, those white streets and everything were very, very similar, obviously, very dressed for the show. But so, so Tarifa itself was a real find. And, you know, we worked closely with a really fantastic Spanish um, production company called Fresco Films, and they had been the Spanish end of Game of Thrones and big shows like that. So they had, like, kind of scouted just about every location you could think of already. So they had a very a great, you know, database of locations and a great knowledge of the area because they're based in Malaga. So we're very fortunate um, uh, to have those people to work with. But even the, the Las Sirenas, which is the, the, the place where, in episode three, where Lucy goes for lunch with the secretary. You know, they hadn't, for instance, like met, uh, had any reason to look for a place like that before. So that was like a complete find for everyone. You know, that just that incredibly bonkers, some very eccentric kind of millionaire had built this, you know, absolutely kitsch, mad palace that we, we used for a number of scenes. Um, so, so it was a lot of fun and a lot of very, you know, just very engaged and knowledgeable people in Spain that we were lucky to work with with Fresco Films. Actually,
0: it feels like there couldn't be a better
5: time for
0: us as a British audience to see these beautiful locations that like we're all yearning for. It and um, the escapism of it is, yeah, it's 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 really special and it's really
5: really needed. Yeah. I mean, um, I saw on the paper that Tarifa Beach, where we shot, um, actually one of the love scenes between um, Adam and um. Hugo in episode one, was closed the other day because of, so that very beach was closed because of (laughs) two.
2: Can I interrupt and say that also shooting that surreal, the, the, the surreal film of Lily Von X, we were literally standing on the edge, the very tip of Spain in this incredible protected ruin, but we were feeling the wind from Africa. It was yeah. one of the most extraordinary moments of my entire life because it felt like being at two pl- in two places at once, and I was covered in glitter and got to wear you know a silver bikini. And me rubbed in lots of oil by very beautiful dancers. But <laughs> on top of that, it was like this. I mean, it truly felt like being in two places at once, which is magic. I think. I just had to say that. Sorry, that was so very exciting for me. <laughs> no, no, it must feel so surreal. It must feel so surreal to know that that was exactly a year
0: ago as well, and looking at. It, it's a far more stark landscape in every way that we're living through right now. It's to look back at a time when you were smothered in glitter, feeling the winds of Africa. That's crazy. It feels like a dream. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like a year ago feels like a dream. I, I have just one final question that's come through. Cause I know we're running out of time. And um, this is from Katie at the express. Thank you so much. She says, is there scope for a second series?
2: Great.
5: Um, well, we'd like to think so. Um, uh, I mean, it was such a great team, and it was—it's such a the the concept of taking a sort of politically charged melodrama and setting it in an exotic, set of you know exotic place and, and, a, and a time you know where the, where the, where it looks great and where it's wonderful. and You can get in about the politics of the place, kind of from the ground up, um, rather than from the sort of outside view. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of the core of the approach, a Little Birds. And absolutely, we'd love to. Love to find another story to tell. That was yeah. sexy, fun, glossy, melodramatic and provocative. Absolutely.
0: I love all those things. I really, really hope so. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for your brilliant questions. I hope you've enjoyed watching, listening to our panel. Remember, Little Bird's out on the 4th of August on Sky Atlantic and Now TV. It's going to be a box set. So everyone can like, you can binge it if you want, or you can exercise a little bit of restraint and consume it. Gradually, in moderation which I think will be hard because it's very, very Moorish and congratulations guys honestly it is brilliant it is so good thank you so much to Sophia, Ruth, Stacey, Juno, Hugh, Nina, Yumna and Raphael for joining us today everyone have a lovely evening this always feels really unceremonious when we say goodbye thank you so much hopefully we'll get to connect in person in the not too distant future but for now thank you and goodbye
3: thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at
2: guru.bafta.org